This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, three Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or ten months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good afternoon and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Welcome to February Heart Month. What better way to start the month than to invite this week's guest, a nationally recognized, award-winning cardiologist and a superstar gentleman. Our topic tonight is heart failure, the evolution from early heart disease all the way to a severe condition when you have to consider a heart transplant. From the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania, Dr. Paul Mather, Professor of Clinical Medicine at the Perlman School of Medicine at the University of Penn, and the physician leader for the heart failure disease management in the heart failure transplant program. And he's also the director of faculty development in the division of cardiology at HUP. A special note is that he is this year's the 2023 recipient of the Edward S. Cooper Award from the American Heart Association. This is a national award. And Dr. Cooper was the first African-American to serve as the national president of the American Heart Association who is truly dedicated to addressing the special health care needs of people of color. Dr. Mather is also a relentless champion and advocate for health care equity, and he's held leadership positions in the Philadelphia chapter of the American Heart Association and has spearheaded his own efforts with Philadelphia Housing Authority to bring blood pressure screenings and health education to the people of North and West Philadelphia. Other National American Heart Association awards in 2019 he was named the Dr. Lynn Smaha Memorial Award for Excellence, and in 2020, the National Physician of the Year Award. Uh-huh. We are so fortunate to have Dr. Paul Mather with us. Thank you. You are a very busy man. Oh, Dr. Ritchie, hey, thank you very <laughs> much for your very kind invitation and your very kind words. Well, it is truly a pleasure to be here. Well, I speak personally as a colleague and uh uh my family member, dear family members, are recipient of your care, so I can say right up front. So, Paul, we have lots of good topics to cover. Let's start with defining heart failure. We don't, we don't want people to think heart failure means your heart has stopped beating and, the, you know, we pull the plug. Let's talk about, in general, what that means. So, I will start by saying my cardiology specialty has a PR problem. We have a terrible name. 
we should call it heart success for hearts that need a little help instead of heart failure. So that's how I want you to look at it. Heart success or aggressive therapies to help hearts that need help to be more efficient. So the best way to define heart failure, in my opinion, is to consider what the heart is. Besides being the spiritual soul and the homunculus, depending on whether you quote Descartes or not, but it is a pump and it provides nutrition, oxygen to the body. It is a pump that keeps our body, the machine, working. When this pump doesn't meet the needs of the body, that is when we start calling it heart failure. And there are several types of heart failure, and we can get into it a little later, but I think the summary statement would be it does not allow the person to do all the things they d- want to do in their lives, mm-hmm. and that would be heart failure. And so if we think of the heart as a muscular pump, one of the metrics that probably the most important metric that you evaluate is the ejection fraction. Maybe we should define that term because to us, it's a familiar parameter. Certainly. And what I'm going to say, I'll say two things about it. One, how do, how do we measure it and what does it mean? And then second, what we have to put it in the context of importance. So the first thing I'll say is an ejection fraction of 100% does not exist. 100% is not normal. A normal is about 55 to 65%. And why is that? If you think of the pump mechanics, you don't want to squeeze all the blood out of the heart with every beat and create a suction. So what the heart does and the body does so wonderfully is to squeeze about 55 to 65% of the blood to meet the needs. And if you're exercising, it may increase the percentage, but allows the body to refill the heart for the next beat. So the way we measure normally an ejection fraction is an echocardiogram, an ultrasound of the heart. And we, I always tell people, we take a, think of your heart as a loaf of bread and we take ultrasound knife to it and we cut it longitudinally and then in different axes. So we hold up the loaf of bread, we look at it end on, we look at it sideways. And by measuring how the walls move, we create an ejection fraction. So like I said, 55 to 65% will be normal, 50 to 55% will be low normal, 40 to 50% will be mildly abnormal, 30 to 40% will be moderately abnormal, and less than 30% is considered severe abnormality. Mm -hmm. Now, having said all that, is the ejection fraction the end all and the final point of your heart's condition? No, there's something called a functional assessment. And the story I tell people is right now, and this is a true story, um, right now I have a patient in the hospital waiting for a heart transplant with a 20% ejection fraction. While I know I have another patient currently in a warm weather climate with an ejection fraction of 20%, the same number, carrying their golf clubs 18 holes. So obviously it's not the same heart, even though it's the same number. So let's cut to the chase. How long can I live, doc? Well, what's the most important data point? It's your functional assessment. And the normal functional assessment names we use are something called the New York Heart Association uh, functional class one through four. Four is somebody who has trouble brushing their teeth and gets short of breath. One is somebody living a full normal life if you were spying on them with a camera, but they have cardiomyopathy, which is the fancy medical term for heart failure. And then... um, Class two is somebody who has heart failure, but is on more medicines. And then class three heart failure 
is somebody who will probably be in the hospital one to two times a year because of their heart dysfunction. So those are how we approach it. Mm -hmm. So cardiomyopathy for our listeners, cardio, of course, means heart. Myo refers to the muscle. We just said it's a muscular pump and path refers to pathology. So abnormal heart muscle. So that makes sense when people walk away saying, oh, I get it. Um, So let's talk about the different types of heart failure, uh, Paul, because it's very logical after you explain it and you explain things so clearly. So you gave me a wonderful segue, Marianne, by talking about cardiomyopathy, the Latin root of the word. So basically that is a non-descriptive summary of a disease process, cardiomyopathy. The adjective we put in front of it is the key. So in America, or let's call it in Western society, 74% of people will have cardiomyopathies due to hypertension and or coronary artery disease, ischemic heart disease. So 74%. And then the last 26% become more rare things, such as genetic cardiomyopathies. Then there's something called infiltrative cardiomyopathies, like amyloid and sarcoid. And if you invite me to spend 24 hours with you, we can talk about all of those. And then there's other things that even... Let's do it. (laughs) And then there's other things like toxin-induced, everything from chemotherapy to illicit drugs. And, And then that adds up to... And then viral infections. And when you add all those up, then it becomes about 100% of the reasons. And then I n- notice I said it in North America or Western society. If you went to Central America or Brazil, the most common cause of heart failure or cardiomyopathy is Chagas disease, which is an infection. That's what I was going to guess. Yeah, infection. Mm-hmm. So it de- depends. You have to put it into the context of the person you're seeing, where they're from, where they've traveled, Always. and what their risk factors are. But three out of four Americans, it'll be because of the hypertension and um, coronary disease. And for our listeners, what you're saying, Paul, is the heart muscle is challenged. So if you have high blood pressure, it means that your arteries are too uh, constricted and that the heart has to bench press to get the the, uh, pressure. If the heart has to work harder, that muscle is going to get tired, just like you get a Charlie horse in your calf when you push too hard. Or if somebody has coronary artery disease, I always said that was kind of coronary heart disease. I always thought was redundant. But if the arteries that feed the heart, the heart muscle needs blood supply itself. So if those arteries are blocked, again, your heart's trying to work out in the gym. And if it doesn't have enough blood supply to itself, it's going to get fatigued. And then you say, so how does that help us distinguish those people who have a weak pump versus the other type of um, heart failure from a heart that is stiff, it can't relax to receive the blood. Sure. I, that's, a, that's a lot to put together. So we'll do it this way. I think of cardiomyopathy as the disease process and heart failure, that the symptoms that come from the disease process. But because people use the terms interchangeably, it's hard for me to be right. that specific. But think of the heart failure as a spectrum of disease from where it's normal to get stiffer or gets weaker. So let me elaborate a little bit on your beautifully said thing about hypertension and coronary disease. The problem is think if you were weightlifting and you were doing bicep curls, your muscle is going to get thicker. So when a heart has to pump against hypertension, it's weightlifting. So the muscles get thicker. But the problem with the heart is it gets thicker inward, not outward. Mm 
So then the chamber shrinks and the blood can't come fully in. It backs up into the lungs. People get short of breath. Well, then the body says, I can't be short of breath all the time. Now I have to dilate the heart because it got so thick and it can't fit the money, the, the blood, which is the money of the body. And then it dilates to let that blood back in. So in the bit, as it goes from thick to dilation, people may feel better for a little while. They'll get they'll short of breath, better for a little while, and then they'll get a lot worse because now when it dilates, it can't contract, and then the pumping function drops. So that's the heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. The heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, and I should stop myself there and say it's kind of 50-50. 50% of the people with heart failure have reduced ejection fraction, and 50% have preserved ejection fraction. In there, you have to think of your heart as doing two things. One is contracting and pushing the blood forward, and the other is receiving, catching the blood. In heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, the catching part gets stiff. So instead of beautifully and softly catching a ball, it stiffly catches it. And so it doesn't expand. And then the blood backs up into the lungs, and they can uh, get short of breath. And there are many things that are what we call comorbid conditions, other medical problems that can impact on both reduced ejection fraction, we said coronary disease and hypertension, and preserved ejection fraction, sleep apnea, obesity, Mm. atrial fibrillation, all those things can cause this, this arc of heart failure. And I think it's important for people to hear what you said, that there are other toxins or metabolic problems like diabetes can for a lot of reasons, mm-hmm. cause heart issues because it blocks the arteries. Or, But you, you want to remind people that alcohol and, and uh, smoking certainly can cause heart disease, and that's why. It's making your pump work harder, and we don't want your heart to have to bench press. Absolutely. Let's take a, a little break, and we'll be right back with Dr. Paul Mather from the Hospital of the University of Penn. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. At Independence Blue Cross, we believe in giving you the tools you need to pursue your healthiest life. From premiums as low as $0 per month to health discounts and cash rewards, it pays to have coverage with Independence. With the strongest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, you can feel confident that quality care is always within reach. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert, caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. When we ask questions. We make sure they're the big ones. Like how can the healthcare industry earn the trust of patients? And what if your health outcomes and access to care weren't defined by your skin color, sexuality, gender, or zip code? At Genentech, we're removing barriers and partnering across the medical community to make clinical research as diverse as the world we serve to ensure communities have access to healthcare. Learn how we are working to make healthcare more equitable at gene.com/askbiggerquestions. 
We're back on your radio doctor with Dr. Paul May. They're discussing heart failure. Paul, we were talking about the causes and your your heart, or my heart, everyone's heart, is a muscular pump. And if it's not working well, it's either not sending the blood out as it should, or it's not receiving the blood because it's stiffened by a condition like amyloidosis. People might not know what that is, but it's it's uh, an abnormal protein that infiltrates the heart and makes it too stiff. So if they have that mental image, then that makes sense when we talk about symptoms. Let's talk about the symptoms because the other thing is, I guess heart failure could come on suddenly or acutely, as we say, or it could be a chronic, gradual worsening. Yeah. So let's talk about symptoms. So this is a difficult thing because the initial phase of heart failure is probably not recognizable as coming from the heart. It, you know, One of the common things we see is we finally see a patient in our heart failure center because they've been having a cough and shortness of breath for months. They failed two um, ZPAC trials and finally got a chest X-ray and oh. somebody said, oh, the heart is big or something to that effect because heart failure can start with a cough because as the heart gets filled with fluid, it stretches a little bit and the cough nerves called the phrenic nerves are running right beside the top part of the heart and they can be irritated. Or because the heart is actually two pumps side by side, it's not one pump. I I prefer the poetry of one pump, but it's actually two pumps. The left side of the pump uh, pumps blood from head to toe, so that's the business end. And the right side of the heart collects the blood from distribution through the body and puts it to the lung. So when the left side of the heart gets weak, it backs up into the lung, People get short of breath and the lung tries to cough out that fluid. So how many of us have a cough and some shortness of breath, runny nose, and we think we have a virus, we think we have a cold, except in some people, it's progressive heart failure. Now, people who have the classic elephant sitting on their chest, and those of you who remember Sanford and Son, the big one, Ethel, for those of you who go way back like me, um, those are hallmark symptoms that can be sentinel symptoms of a heart attack, which then develop heart failure after the heart attack. But if we're talking about heart failure itself, it can be cough, shortness of breath, or it can be fatigue, lack of energy like you used to be, or you do everything normally, but when you climb steps, you feel short of breath, or you do everything normally, except when you bring the groceries in from the car, you feel short of breath, or all of a sudden you feel your heart having palpitations, some fast beats, or you can be lightheaded, or you can pass out. And then obviously there are much more severe symptoms that can present themselves, but that's the grab bag of symptoms that is heart failure. Or in Mm -hmm. young people especially, and this is right up your alley, Marianne, they will present with abdominal pain. For some reason, young people's blood vessels in the stomach are more sensitive to forward flow, and they will get bloating, nausea, vomiting, and even diarrhea or pain as they're inciting symptoms. In fact, if some 20-some-year-old comes with abdominal pain that there's no obvious reason, the heart should be checked right away. Good point. And you say it's such a, a great sequence of events. So people, as you said earlier so well, there's a spectrum of symptoms. And if somebody has mild heart failure, they might not feel short of breath until they try to do a, a rapid, wa- uh, a brisk walk yeah. or go up steps yeah. or challenge themselves. But the other thing, I guess, as time goes by and the heart becomes weaker or less efficient, 
um, that a person might start to lose weight as another kind of red yeah. herring or, or distraction yeah. because they're too weak to eat. They start to lose their appetite. Or as you say, as fluid backs up in the lungs, it can also back up in the liver. And um, which brings me, there's so many important tangents here. We talk about telehealth is a good, um, it's better than nothing if a person, you know, if we have COVID or something, but oftentimes, as you say, in a young person with belly pain, I want to see them put my hands on their belly because if their liver's enlarged because of backup of fluid. And the mm -hmm. other thing that we see with people who have chronic, now this is probably very end stage, is we see the skin looks mottled. If blood isn't going to the, the extremities or even your, their own skin, if the blood flow is good, livido reticularis, we see what looks like purple swirly skin. Mm -hmm. All of those are absolutely true. And going back to your point about losing weight, that is as the heart advances in failure the part the body prioritizes nutrition to the brain and the heart so it'll actually start stealing muscle to convert to calories for the heart and brain as the heart gets weaker and we call something called cardiac cachexia it's called the other term is catabolism where the body is breaking down itself to provide nutrition it's eating itself to provide nutrition for the a weakening heart that's one thing then you mentioned passive congestion. If the, there's something called congestive hepatopathy or even cardiac cirrhosis, as it gets worse and worse, now people will start dropping their blood pressure, not only from the weak heart, but from a weak liver. And so there's a whole panoply of things that happen. I mean, you can think of it as a domino and the dominoes start falling. And you say it so logically that as you... If your heart's not working, it's going to affect its neighbors, the lungs, and uh, and the kidneys, certainly. So we've talked about symptoms. Uh, we talked about feeling weak or dizzy or have it feeling pale or getting sweaty with very little exertion. What are the things that you look for when you examine the patient in the office? So when I have somebody in and I'm actually part going to the part of the physical exam, my first thing is I've been observing them all this time while we're talking. I'm looking at their body morphology, their face. I'm looking at their fat pads, which is usually on the temp temporal area of your brain or in your hand of your head or in your hands to see whether they are starting to lose fat stores, which go before muscle stores because the heart needs more fluid uh, nutrition. Then I listen to their lungs in all four fields and look to see whether I hear any noises that may suggest fluid buildup. Then I lie them down. And I listen to their heart through the whole quadrant of the chest. And then I turn their neck to the left, the head to the left. And I look at their veins that mainly are in the right side of the heart where easily seen, um, right side of the body where it can go into the heart. So I can see whether there's any backup. And sometimes we can see little pulses because the valves are leaking. Then I will feel the liver, as you said before, both just pushing on it or grabbing it from front and behind to see whether I can feel any pulsations. Then I'll examine the belly and go all the way down to the legs looking at um, uh, for fluid. You can divide the heart failure exam into left-sided heart failure and right-sided heart failure. If the left side of the heart is weak, most of the fluid will go into the lungs. And then if it's really bad, mm. it'll go into the right side of the heart. Then what's below the right side of the heart, the liver. Then what's below the uh, liver, the belly, and what's below that, the kidneys, and then what's below that, the legs. So you'll follow it that way. 
If it's only right-sided heart failure, which is a rare entity, but certainly exists, the lungs may be clear. People are not short of breath, but they only have fluid all over their body. And so you have to divide it that way. And I'm being general here, but that's a way of looking at things. No, I, I think it's an excellent way for people to understand that when we were medical students, we were, and we said Descartes and we talk about philosophy and such. I'm so glad I had philosophy and Latin in uh, high school and college so I can follow you. But um, when, when we talk about, when we were medical students, we read a book called The Effective Clinician. Yes, we are thrilled that we have the help of x-rays and CAT scans and cardiograms, but you, Dr. Paul Mather, have seen hundreds of patients on the spectrum of mild, moderate, severe heart disease. And I'm not making a joke here, but I can name that tune in five notes. You could probably look at somebody and name that tune in two notes. Just like I talk to a patient and they, they give me the pattern. It's usually right there in the history. And that's why it's so important to spend a little less time, clickety-click, look at the patient, get your cues, and then that will help you decide, do I want to do an x-ray first or yeah. an echo first? And so tell us about how you make the diagnosis with those tools. So the first thing I will emphasize is that if my clinical judgment is not being proved, I'm going to go on a rabbit hunt or a down the rabbit hole looking for why it didn't seem like it should be, okay? It's because most of the time it seems like it should be. So mm -hmm. let's say I now say this person has all the markers for heart failure with reduced ejection fraction and is in heart failure. How am I going to prove it? The first thing I'm going to do is look at the EKG. I look at the EKG as a Polaroid. Then I do the echo, which is a movie. Obviously, you get more from a movie than a Polaroid. And so that'll tell me about the function. And it, let's say the, the echocardiogram, the ultrasound shows a weakened heart muscle. The next question is why? So is it because of blockages? Is it because of infiltrative disease like you mentioned, amyloid or sarcoid or something else? I tend to use cardiac MRI a lot. It's becoming a very important tool. It may be not one on my tooth bell, tool bell, but it may be number two or three. Okay, uh, so it's not number one, but it's number two or three, and to because that'll give me both structure, function, and what the actual heart muscle cells look like. Mm -hmm. And you know, I always describe your heart as like a brick wall. The heart muscle cell is the brick, and the connecting mortar is what we look at. And in heart failure, the mortar gets bigger while the brick gets smaller. So cardiac MRI will give us a lot of information about that brick and mortar. Mm -hmm. And I think you emphasized again that a cardiogram looks at a pattern. And if we're looking at a little bump and a spike and a bump, and that tells us so much. Um, and if it's smaller, maybe the heart's compressed or the pericardium or sac is pressing. We, we, we've learned, but there is no specific test Per se. I think that's the other thing that you're using your clinical assessment and your experience to say, this is what it seems like. Um, and the other thing is with uh, when do you decide to do a stress test or cardiac cath? Okay. So the clinical judgment is the kickoff point. Everything else is a confirmatory or a rule out uh, uh, test. Without the clinical, there's no test. Okay. Because there's no reason to mm -hmm. do it. So let's sure. say there's a clinical, that in, clinical includes the physical exam and the story, not just the physical exam. Exactly. It's the story that comes with mm -hmm. the physical exam. So when do I do a 
cardiac catheterization or stress test. Like I said, three out of four Americans with um, heart failure will have it because of hypertension and coronary disease. So basically three out of four times, actually four mm -hmm. out of four times, I will make sure I rule it out. If it's, let's mm -hmm. put it this way, if it's a 23-year-old woman who still has her normal periods, has no early maternal history of coronary disease, there's very real, little reason to do a stress test or a left heart cath. There may be a reason to do the pressure cath, but not the blockage cath. Mm -hmm. um, but a cardiac MRI will help us with that. And I think the other important thing that people need to hear again is that an ultrasound is a functional test. You can see blood flowing in and out of the heart. You watch the heart valves open and close when they're supposed to on the assembly line. And, and heart valves abnormalities can cause cardiomyopathy and heart uh, failure as well. Let's take a little break and we'll be back with more on heart failure with Dr. Paul Mather. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. Hello, my name is David Dorshu. I am the Chief Executive Officer of Recovery Centers of America at Raritan Bay. We are a residential treatment facility located in South Amboy, New Jersey, Middlesex County. Today I'm here to talk to you about the mission of Recovery Centers of America. I have been with the company for over six years and what drives us here at Raritan Bay and at RCA is our commitment to help one million people gain meaningful and long-lasting recovery. And we do that one person at a time, one day at a time. And while our mission is quantitatively defined, helping one million people gain meaningful and long-lasting recovery, when I think about our mission, I I see faces. I see the face of a child saying to their mother or father, mommy or daddy, why did you love drugs and alcohol more than you loved me? We want to eliminate that in the state of New Jersey and in this country altogether. I see the person standing before a judge who is not incarcerated for his crime, but rather treated for his disease. So it is our mission to help people that drives us. It gets us out of bed every morning and drives us throughout the course of the day. We have a rule at Raritan Bay, which is we treat clients with dignity and respect. This is a disease that people have, and we do not shame people with cardiac issues. We do not shame people people who have suffered strokes, diabetes, etc. And we do not shame people who have who struggle with drug and or alcohol addiction. So to learn more about RCA, if you or a loved one need help with alcohol or drugs, reach out to Recovery Centers of America at 833-969-0268. I'll repeat that 833-969-0268 or visit rcaradiodoctor.com, R-C-A-R-A-D-I-O-D-R.com. Recovery Centers of America answers the phone 24-7, and we admit patients 24-7. So I encourage you to give us a call so we can help in this time of need. Thank you. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. 
When you have orthopedic issues, you need a physician who eats, sleeps, and breathes orthopedics. You need an exceptionally specialized Rothman Orthopedics physician. They not only specialize in orthopedics, each Rothman physician only focuses on one area of the body, which means you can have confidence that you can get past pain and be what you were. Schedule conveniently online at RothmanOrtho.com. That's RothmanOrtho.com. When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like when it comes to diseases, can we strive to treat, prevent, and even reverse them? And how can we make healthcare more effective and more affordable? These are the types of questions that can help impact the lives of so many patients, that help push the boundaries of innovation and healthcare for all communities. At Genentech, we are the pioneers of the biotech industry, tackling some of the biggest questions in healthcare. Learn more at gene.com slash askbiggerquestions. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. Welcome back to Your Radio Doctor. We're learning so much about heart failure and the whole spectrum of symptoms with Dr. Paul Mather. Paul, we talked about the symptoms that would signal a person to get help from their doctor. And we talked about the possible complications. The knee bone's connected to the thigh bone. If your heart's not pumping, the fluid can back up into lungs, affect the kidneys, cause swelling, all those sorts of things. What can patients do to keep themselves from getting into trouble? What can patients do, especially if they already have hypertension, diabetes? We want to prevent heart failure in them. Absolutely. If patients are at risk for hypertension, diabetes, obstructive sleep apnea, all these things, treating those aggressively can prevent downstream complications or consequences to the heart. I mean, to put it into context, 74% of Americans have hypertension, coronary disease-induced cardiomyopathies. We spend about wow. we spend about $47 billion a year on heart failure. We spend $517 billion a year on cardiac disease. When you think about it, 94% of all cardiac disease is preventable. So and in mm. 10 years, we're predicting a trillion dollar expenditure in healthcare for cardiac disease for a preventable problem in 94%. Think of all the things we could do with that money, roads, infrastructure, food, healthcare, prevention. So it is so important for prevention, good, healthy behaviors, exercise. I know it sounds like a broken record here. Take care of yourself, feel and listen to your body. And the more you do the, to prevent things from happening, the better it'll be as we all get older. Mm-hmm. And if your doctor says, I want you to take these medicines, don't play with them yourself. I mean, I know patients who will admit, and I'd rather have them tell me the truth because I think, gosh, mm-hmm. you're retaining fluid, but I have you on a water pill. And we'll talk about the treatments in a second. But mm-hmm. I need to know if it's because they didn't want to be running to the bathroom during the workday or something. Yeah. You have to tell your doctor, please. And people will say, well... I decided not to take the heart pill for a couple of days because it was going to be a headache. Well, maybe that's not the cause mm-hmm. of the headache. And you could put yourself into serious pulmonary yeah. congestion. To, please don't do it. And, and the other thing is you're doing great work with helping with people that are, are the new expressions, healthcare, just not new expression, but we're trying so hard to look at people who don't have access or have misunderstanding in the education. Tell us a little bit about the work that that is being recognized with this award from the American Heart Association, if you would. 
Um, thank you. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that been my mission in my life is to provide healthcare and provide dialogue with people who are not normally accessed by our brick and mortar institutions or who have a fear of brick and mortar institutions, Good especially point. in underserved minority communities who have may, may have been victims throughout history of, of this healthcare complex. I mean, we all know about the Tuskegee syndrome. West Philadelphia is predominantly African-American. And if they look over at my building that I'm sitting in right now, they'll see this steel glass 15-story building that is scary to me to look at. Mm -hmm. And then not having the trust of somebody there who will understand what your issues are. How many times have you heard a patient say, I had to choose between my copay and food? So these are the things that I feel that this is the wealthiest country in the history of man. And we have these people unaided, untouched by our healthcare industry. Healthcare is, is a right. It's not a privilege. Everybody needs to have a chance to live the life they want to live. So what we've been doing is reaching out face-to-face. -face. It can't be remote control. Obviously, during COVID, we had to stop a little bit from face-to-face. -face. But um, we go out into the communities and talk to them, just like we're talking, about what bothers them. Mm -hmm. And then we try and fit. You know, if you go into a Hispanic community, we talk about food products that fit their cultural exactly. identity. Mm -hmm. we, I, I'm not talking about steak and potatoes. I'm talking about tortillas and corn and Excess issues salt. like that. And this, yes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Salt is an enemy of any culture. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so. And like the book. Remember the, so those the book salt. It. You know, the salt. Yep. Uh, you know. Absolutely. Well, and I think, too, yep. if we give people parameters, that's the whole purpose of this show. We explain things and and gear it to the lay community because if people understand, they're going to be more committed because they're part of the process. So A, from with your work, we want you to tell your doctor, it's not a case of pride. Tell us if you can't afford the medications. Let us help you. That mm -hmm. That's part of the process too. And people think they you know, their blood pressure's up, they can feel it. Pretty much you can. If you have high blood pressure, if you have a headache, it can bump your pressure. But high blood pressure doesn't necessarily cause the headache. So if they're seen together, yeah. one's the chicken, one's the egg. But other things like simple things like weigh yourself every day if you're at risk for keeping uh, retaining fluid. And if you gain more than two pounds in one day or more than four pounds in a week, you want to call Dr. Mather and say, I think I'm going in the wrong direction. If you're smoking or vaping, no, thank you. And excess alcohol can can trigger cardiomyopathy or be a strain on your heart. So you're right. It does sound like we're repeating the checklist and the pamphlet, but there are concrete reasons why these things connect. Yes? Absolutely. And one thing I would add is weigh yourself at the same time every day, no matter what time it is, same time, because all of us will gain two to four pounds a day and get rid of it over the just from the natural evolution and circadian rhythms of the body. But if it's persistent, then as you said, that's an issue. Your body's telling you something. Listen to your body. Um, I mean, the philosophy we have is it's your life. We want you to live the life you want to, that you dreamed of. And yes. it can't be that your health is stopping mm -hmm. you. So in terms of treatment, um, I always wonder why um, Lasix is not allowed in racehorses, but it works so well for us. Let's talk about how we treat somebody who's in mild to severe Heart failure. Absolutely. So I will tell you that water pills, which is Lasix is one of them, 
I would quote by saying one of my professors told me it's the tool of the devil, but it's a necessary tool. The perfect Lasix is the one you don't need because you've controlled mm. your salt intake. The other medicines are working and efficiently sending salt to your kidneys, and then out it goes. But and when we give you Lasix, we tell you it's a uh, water pill, but it's actually not true. It's an anti-salt pill. Water follows salt. So what Lasix does, it allows your blood to take salt to the end of your kidney where it gets rid of it. And while it's getting rid of the salt, the water follows it. So that's why it's so important for you not to put salt in you when we spend all our time trying to get rid of it so you don't get fluid overloaded. And another trivial, mm -hmm. you can sit, tell this at a next party, the reason Lasix is called Lasix is because it lasts six hours. And that's how they got their name. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Yeah. That's, that's a for a fun fact. Party fact. Yes. Oh, I love that. So if a person um, is well controlled on medications and they're they're living a good life, and I don't mean that negative way, if they're trying their best, mm -hmm. everything they can, sometimes people need to move on to a defibrillator or a pacemaker. I don't know if we have time to go into that because what I really want to hear about is how you decide when a person we've exhausted all the conservative measures, we have to think about a heart transplant. How do you decide that? And are there any other new things on the horizon? I know LVAD we want to talk about. Sure. I will quickly say that if you asked me this question in 1993, for every 100 people that came to me, 30 would get a transplant. But now in 2023, I would say seven will get a transplant. In 93 or 90, we would find something else to do. And three, it was too late. Okay. Oh. So- how do we decide? We decide when they've failed what we call the four pillar therapy of heart failure. And they're still the body, the heart is not giving up enough energy to run the factory of the body. And then we decide, okay, this heart no longer has anything left in it, we need to replace it. How long will it take to replace it? Is Are they a candidate to replace it? So what we look at is what is the risk of going through the surgery taking heart transplant medicines to other medical problems, we don't want to do something that makes them worse. What kind mm -hmm. of win is that? Because we always want to respect that gift of life. If we do it right, two people live, the one who got it and did the best they can and the memory yeah. of the donor. If we do it wrong, three people die. The one who got it and couldn't do the best they could, somebody else who could have got it and the memory of the donor. So this is how important, it's a very philosophical point in my life where we want to work together to use technology for the best outcome. We don't want to put people through suffering for no end point. Mm -hmm. And so two things come up in my mind, Paul. We talk about indications. Here's a reason why we should choose a certain therapy and contraindications. Here are reasons why we shouldn't. So maybe somebody who has a relatively recent cancer. We want to make sure that they're free of that. Or maybe they have immunosuppression or irreversible kidney damage. Uh, are they well enough to go through the surgery? Or maybe they have an alcohol or tobacco use disorder. And we have to say, we've got to get you free of that before, like you say, we deprive somebody else or put you through the... the yeah. So two things, I guess. Number one, how often do you do a uh, combined transplant of heart and say kidney? And the other one is... Could you explain to our listeners what an LVAD is, left ventricular assistance device? Sure. Mm -hmm. So quickly, we do quite frequent heart kidneys, heart livers, and heart lungs. And now you can throw in pancreases and other things. But usually heart liver, heart kidney, and heart lungs are the combined organ therapies that we do in people who fit the criteria. It's incredible. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. And 
to um, to get to your other question about left ventricular assist devices, they fall under the rubric of artificial hearts. So we have a patient whose own heart is not providing enough uh, juice, we'll call it. And either they're a candidate, not a candidate for transplant because they have something else that makes them high risk, or they are a big person, blood type O, and their weight for transplant, they will die before they get it. Mm. And so we have to use a bridge device. So there's three types of LVADs, left ventricular assist device in the sending bridge to transplant, bridge to decision for transplant or destination therapy, meaning they get this and they live as long as they can with this mechanical support. Now, this is not a replacement pump. It's a pump that's added on to the heart you have to act like a turbocharge and increase the flow. And it increases the flow almost to normal. So there, and there's a lot of, uh, as you say, indications and contraindications, and we would have to spend another 24 hours together to go over through them. But that is what an artificial heart or left ventricular de- assist device is. Mm-hmm. So if people hear the expression LVAD, it means that you're sort of hopping onto the person's heart that's tired and giving it the extra boost it needs to added a turbo mm-hmm, either to wait while they're waiting for a transplant or if they're just so weakened and not able to go through surgery that's another indication let's take a little break and we'll be back for a wrap-up with dr paul mather your radio doctor with dr marianne ritchie is presented exclusively by independence blue cross At Independence Blue Cross, we believe in giving you the tools you need to pursue your healthiest life. From premiums as low as $0 per month to health discounts and cash rewards, it pays to have coverage with Independence. With the strongest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, you can feel confident that quality care is always within reach. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. When you have joint pain, you need a physician who eats, sleeps, and breathes joints. Someone so focused on their specialty, they've written the book on it, literally. You need an exceptionally specialized physician from Rothman Orthopedics. They not only specialize in orthopedics, each Rothman physician only focuses on one area of the body, which means you can have confidence that you can get past the pain and be what you were. Schedule conveniently online at RothmanOrtho.com. Official orthopedic partner of the Eagles, Phillies, and Sixers. Now, your weekly prescription brought to you by Genentech, the science-driven company that pioneered the biotech industry to transform how we treat the world's most complex health problems. And welcome back to our final segment of Your Radio Doctor. We are so pleased that we were fortunate enough to have the company of Dr. Paul Mather today. We call this final segment Your Weekly Prescription brought to you by Genentech. Paul, we've learned so much about heart failure, and that's a spectrum of symptoms, a spectrum of disease. What is your final take-home message for our listeners? So what I would want you to take home is even though heart failure sounds depressing, it is not a death sentence. If I had met someone in 1987 with heart failure, everyone would have been dead within five years. Now in 2023, we have people with class one heart failure who can live near normal lifespans as those who don't have heart failure. And that is because of medicines, devices, and lots of technology. But the most important technology is self-awareness and self-advocacy. If you feel like you're having symptoms, you need an answer. And 
you need a holistic approach to it. It's not just take two aspirin and call me in the morning. It's why are you taking this? What does this mean for you? What would you do if you didn't do this? What diets? How is it impacting your lifestyle, your life with your loved ones, with your job, with the things you like to do? What about finances? What about medication access? What about confusion over polypharmacy, meaning lots of medicines? We don't have a magic pill yet. One day it'll be this big. But um, in general, I, I want people to be their own advocates for their own quality of life. And with that, we're reminding people that no matter what your condition or what's being treated, don't be your own doctor. We all say don't be Dr. Google, but don't adjust your medicines. Don't eliminate or double or cut it in half. It could it could cost you your life. I'm not being overly dramatic, especially if, if more than one or two doses occur. We both know that. If people have an abnormal heart rhythm, um, that's another. There are so many great new technologies that send the rhythm to the doctor. Call your doctor. We have my chart or whatever it's called at different institutions. Send a message to your doctor. Uh, there are lots of care extenders that can help get the message to the doctor. And if it's a simple question, it could keep you out of much worse shape. Yes. Absolutely. Be your advocate, but don't fly alone. It's a partnership. Mm -hmm. If you were to send our listeners to websites to read more, so they're more familiar with what we discussed, where would they go? So certainly heart.org, which is from the American Heart Association, has a large amount of data. And then there's another one called the Heart Failure Society of America, which is hfsa.org, just Heart Failure Society of America, hfsa.org. And that has a patient section with a lot of educational material. Beautiful. Built right in. You click on the patient section. Well, Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. Congratulations. What a beautiful award. And I'm going to repeat that's from the American Heart Association from the national level, not just our backyard in Philadelphia, which would be wonderful too. Um, but the 2023 recipient of the Edward S. Cooper Award you are a very busy man, and you help so many people. I'm going to give you my own special award. I now pronounce you the King of Hearts. But aside from that, <laughs> uh, again, from personal experience as your colleague and my family that you treat so beautifully, it's just beautiful to hear how you speak from your heart. And I'm not trying to be, uh, make a pun. When you talk about caring about people, thank you for preserving that feeling that we get from the Hippocratic Oath. We need to hear it more. Patients need to hear it more. And uh, God bless you and your beautiful work. Thank you. And thank you for doing what you do. I appreciate it. And I appreciate the invitation. And now for your real champion, I call this segment Uplifting Athletes. Many young athletes dream of playing for the pros but few have the talent and drive that it takes to climb that mountain. Here's the story of one of those few. Rob Long played soccer and hockey as a freshman at Downingtown West High School. One day he was waiting for his buddies and the football coach saw Rob kicking the ball around and said, hey, we need somebody to kick and punt. I think you can do it. Well, a year later he joined the team, played for three years and his punting skills earned him a full scholarship to play at Syracuse. Imagine going from a local field to playing at a D1 school covered by ESPN. In his impressive career, Rob was named captain twice and was headed to the NFL draft. He even signed an NFL agent. 
Five days after his last game as a senior, he woke up one morning and vomited for two hours. Looking back, he hadn't been feeling well for a good deal of the season. Every time the team flew, he'd have headaches, nausea, and vomiting. Now it's Thanksgiving Day 2010, and he struggled to make it to the team facility. What's wrong with me? I'm 21 playing D1 football. I can handle anything. Well, he listened to his body and he heard something different. The team doctor sent him for an MRI and he could hardly believe what he saw when the neurologist showed him the MRI image of a mass in his brain the size of a tennis ball. He spent December 13th, his 22nd birthday, at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital preparing for surgery the next day. It was a hard pill to swallow when the doctor said, there's no cure. Of the patients who have this type of brain tumor, only about 15% survive after five years. The impact was physical, mental, and emotional. After surgery, he faced radiation and chemo every day for six weeks, then more chemo for another 12 months. Each grueling 28-day cycle was five days of chemo, then he crawled through another 15 days with nausea and fatigue. But Rob is a warrior and met the challenge. He hit the gym every day to stay fit for battle. And with this draining process, he learned that we're all stronger than we think, lifted by resilience and the power of the human spirit. He prayed for a little more time. Maybe I'll make it to 30. Well, his prayers were answered. He's now 32 with an amazing wife, a house, and a dog, things that were only a dream 10 years ago. This former NFL hopeful isn't glad that he had a brain cancer, but he appreciates what the challenge offered him as a person, and now he has a new goalpost in sight. His gratitude led him to join Uplifting Athletes, a foundation whose mission is to inspire the rare disease community with hope through the power of sport. In 2003, Penn State football player and student Scott Shirley and his teammate, Damon James, began the foundation to raise funds and awareness for Scott's father with a rare disease. Their event called Lift for Life had far more of an impact than they first imagined. Now, almost 20 years later, the organization has expanded to include athletes at all levels, high school, college, even professional teams, encouraging them to use their platform as athletes to help the cause. There are active chapters in over two dozen universities across the nation. College athletes act as ambassadors, developing valuable leadership skills that help them on the field and through life. Rob got involved when his teammates from Syracuse began a chapter in his honor a year after his surgery. The programs engage those in the rare disease community with uplifting experiences. They also raise awareness and provide funds for research. They include My Claws, My Cleats, where NFL players show support with personalizing their cleats during the game in week 13. Tonight is their big event called the Young Investor Draft at the Link. It's presented in the style of the NFL draft, and funding is awarded to young researchers early in their careers, hoping to inspire a lifetime effort to find treatments, because there are more than 7,000 rare diseases, which can be autoimmune in nature, neuromuscular, blood diseases, genetic diseases, or cancers. More than $620,000 has been awarded in these first five years. Rob began his full-time position in 2016 and became the executive director of Uplifting Athletes in 2018. For Rob, his role is deeply personal. He wakes up every day ready to pay back for the benefits he's had. 
funding research so fewer patients have the conversation he had with his doctor that included the words, there is no cure. Then the patients can spend more time with their loved ones. As Rob reflects, like the time I've had afforded to me, look at me, there's hope. We salute you, Rob Long, and the beautiful work of uplifting athletes. Tonight's their big night at the link. Their website, upliftingathletes.org. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor every Saturday at 5 p.m. here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Listen to this show and all of our shows on odyssey.com, A-U-D-A-C-Y.com. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Send us an email, info at yourradiodoctor.net. Tell us about a champion in your family or community or a topic you'd like us to cover. Join us next week and learn all about blood thinners, a very important topic. It's February, so we have lots to look forward to. Next week, Super Bowl Sunday. Remember to paint your face green for this entire week. Show your love for the Eagles. Then show your love again two days later on Valentine's Day. Speaking of which, today is February 4th, the anniversary of the first date with my honey bun, my dear husband. Happy anniversary, Stewie. And please get your blue lights ready for the first week in March, our blue light campaign. Put a blue light bulb on your porch, a strand of blue lights on the front of your home or business for colon cancer awareness. Then send us a picture to bluelightscampaign.com. We'll remind you again as March gets closer. This is your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, wishing you and the Eagles a happy, healthy, safe week with the ones you love. Always here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre-recorded. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. 